on ABC Local Radio. Time to talk DVDs with Rob Pemberton. Rob, a very good morning to you. Very good morning to you. What a combination we have this morning. One is a <laughs> I new... I'd go left field. Oh, left field. Well, how left field can it be if it's nominated for an Oscar for Best Animated Feature? Uh, that's one thing. And the other one is a new TV series called Vinyl. Let's start with the film, shall we? Which may go under various pronunciations, but it's Anomalisa, as in anomaly. Anomaly about a woman called Lisa. Yeah. So we make that Anomalisa. Yes, it's, uh, it's a creation of Charlie Kaufman, the well-known writer of Being John Malkovich and Adaption. And, uh, adaptation, little, I think. Adaptation, adaptation? Yeah, one of those. I'm fairly um, sure it's eternal. adaptation. Okay. Eternal sunshine. Any movie that's really annoyed you in the last 20 years, he wrote. <laughs> okay, okay. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Oh, one of them. To. I reckon, and look, let me just say this may preface, this will preface my remarks about this film, but I reckon the three most overrated filmmakers in the world, Quentin Tarantino, Charlie yep. Kaufman and probably yep. I don't know they're still making films, but Peter Greenaway, I'll throw him in there. Oh, as well. you don't! You've left the Cone Brothers out of it. Oh, no, they're not good. overrated. I think I love their movies. I just oh, think that they okay. just keep repeating the same theme. I, yeah. I no, I got no problems with the Cohen Brothers. I, I really love their work. I'm glad somebody is doing something like that. Uh, I just feel that this bloke's work tends to be overrated. The critics love him. The critics love well, him. Well, I'm one of them, and I'm a critic, and I don't love him. Mm. Well, the Kickstarter people were approached yes. to uh, fund this. He spent... Mm. Where was his last film? Synec- oh, yeah, Synecdoche. Synecdoche, thank you. Oh, New York, yeah. which uh, really died a death, and that was back in the early yeah. 2000, 2008. And really, he went off the grid for a while there, and what he was actually doing was writing a play, which turned out to be the script of Nomalisa. It became a sound play, and it only features three actors who have appeared in this film as voiceover artists, David Fulis, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Tom Noonan. And it's a 90-minute animation about the, uh, shall we say, the mundane life of one Michael Stone, who is a... Uh, what to describe him as? He's a consultant. He's a yeah. customer service expert. Motivational speaker. Yes, he delivers lectures to people, and he has a fan base. Oh, yes. And he meets one of his fans in this hotel where he's staying, and they develop a relationship. And that's really all the film is about, except that uh, the dialogue is incredibly mundane, and I think that's going to prove a large turn-off for people <laughs> who may be attracted to this film. Oh, really? Yeah, I found it hypnotic, I've got to say. This is a stop-motion animation film. Uh, They actually created the puppets using 3D printing techniques, and they created 30 puppets. And because one of the uh, ideas behind the film is that Michael Stone can't relate to anybody, and they all end up looking the same. So it wasn't particularly hard to do 28 or so puppets all looking the same. You just press the one button 30 Mm. times. 
But uh, there are two other individuals in this film. Uh, David Hewless plays Michael Stone and Jennifer Jason Lee plays Lisa and Tom Noonan plays everybody else. And his voice changes according to the, the sex and nature of the person, but their looks don't change. Uh, I found it an intriguing conceit, shall we say, yes. and I, I really uh, got involved with this film. Okay, but... hang on. The voice doesn't really change. When he's talking to a woman on the phone and it's the voice of Tom Noonan, mm. it sounds like a bloke. It doesn't sound like a woman. Oh, no, yeah, thought, no, 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 no. I, 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 I immediately originally, no, and I went yeah. back to it, and I started listening to it yeah. again. He's, he's more emotional about it rather than affecting a woman's voice. But uh, Well, no, I, when I, I was listening, honestly, and I didn't know about this until later on in the film, that's when I started reading up about it, because you do, yeah. because there's plenty of time to do something. It's only 90 <laughs> minutes long, but like not a lot happens in this film, so you do have time to... Check the <laughs> That's right, and have a look on the IMDb about the various ways that it was made and all this. Yeah. But I thought when he's talking to a woman on the phone, I thought, hang on, that sounds like a man. That does not sound like a woman. Anyway, that then became obvious. So the story, he's on a plane flying to a conference. He's going to deliver a lecture. He yeah. gets off the plane. He gets into a cab. He drives to the hotel. He checks into the hotel. He has a shower. He rings his... You're making it sound pretty mundane. You kept saying mundane. He talks to his wife, I think. He, he hooks up with his old girlfriend. And then, through a rather sneaky way, inveigles himself into the lives of these two other women who are there for the conference. Now, if you Because think... they're fans. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's kind of knocking on doors, pretending, I think, to look for somebody yeah, until yeah. he finds someone who's quite happy to say, oh, come in, we'll have a drink. And if you want to see an animated film where an animated man and an animated woman have sex, this is the film for you. You've found it, finally. It's an amazing scene. You even get oh, a no. behind-the-making-of-that-particular scene as an extra on the DVD, in case so If really I intrigued. did not have to see that scene again, it'll be too soon. This is a very odd film. and Very. Look, like any of these movies, like 3D or anything like that, and this would have been good in 3D, I reckon you've got to look at it and think, well, hang on, would the film have worked without yes. the gimmick? Yeah, that, I don't think it would yeah. have. Well, I suspected that at the start of the film, but halfway through, I really had to remind myself that I was watching puppets. I was totally uh, involved with the narrative, and uh, I think that just falls away, that whole concept about puppetry, even though they're odd-looking people, yeah. extremely odd-looking people at one yes. stage when, when uh, faces start falling apart. Yeah, no, and I think that's the problem me, with the say. film. Later in the movie, it's not as realistic, perhaps, as the earlier part, and at that point, I think, yeah, you've gone off track, and that's when it kind of lost me. But then I just kept thinking, why? What is the point of this movie? He's made an interesting-looking film about a very boring event, and in the end, who cares? I didn't think there was anything much deeper That's the in test, the film. Isn't it? Yeah. I think it was a, a, it's a bit of a sequel in some conceptual way to being John Malkovich, right. where that one scene where Malkovich looks around and everybody's wearing Malkovich's face, mm. it's really an extension of that, that one yes. scene. And obviously Kaufman loves puppets and is very uh, interested in the way that puppets can be used to uh, reveal elements
elements of the human psyche. I'm with this. I thought this is uh, pretty crazy stuff and really enjoyed it. Look, I'm glad I saw it. There's no doubt about mm. that. Ah, well, that's and good enough. I would say that Jennifer Jason Lee does a really good job yeah. Oh, yeah. playing the role of Lisa, who is a very interesting character, very interesting creation, easily the most interesting in the entire film. But it Certainly just... more so than Michael. Michael's really having a struggle to try and find any humanity in either himself or in anybody else, which, of course, is why everybody else looks the same. Yeah. Because he just yeah. can't relate. And he being the main character. But And I'm guessing that Charlie Kaufman at various film festivals, I would think, would get on the plane, get off the plane, catch the cab to the hotel, sure. hook up sure. with a fan, and then you know talk to the guests at the film festival then go home, and he's done this meditation on the mundanity of that kind of existence. A lot of people love the film, not enough to make it a profitable endeavour, unfortunately. It didn't uh-huh. make its money back and probably won't, even with uh, DVDs. But I would say if anybody who wants something a little off the straight and narrow, then yeah. uh, this is an interesting experiment in uh, mm-hmm. how to tell a story. He's only written five films, and what he's done is write about them in fictional situations. That's an interesting thing I was reading about when you look at something like Adaptation, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind and being John Malkovich. They all feature real people but in totally made-up situations. So is this another version of that? If we go on your theory that he's writing about his own experiences, I suppose every writer could claim that along the way. But uh, yes, I'd imagine it mirrors aspects of his life. Also in adaptation, didn't we have that scene with the writing expert, the story expert, talking to the the audience? And that was very much like this one. Yes, yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, Well, I I don't eagerly await his next film, but if honestly he, he is now relying on Kickstarter to fund his movies... Then, I found that one of the most interesting aspects yeah. of the film, that he couldn't uh, get money for it. But then again, it was only staged as a stage play where the three characters just sat on stools and made the appropriate noises which made the sex scene because the, the film script is very close to the radio plays was originally performed as a sound piece. Uh, they were just sitting on stools on either side of the stage making the appropriate noises. Hmm. Fascinating. It is fascinating, and thanks very much for sharing that with me. But I'm thinking that if if Hollywood is not willing to fund another Charlie Kaufman film, then maybe we're all better off. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Rob Pemberton is our guest on ABC Local Radio with Rod Quinn. Now we go to a TV show which began with a, a lot of fuss because Martin Scorsese is behind fuss. it. He has created it. He directed the first episode. Mick Jagger is involved as well. Bobby Carnavale, who is currently playing the role I'd like to play, which is Mr. Rose Byrne. This is about the music biz in the 1970s. Yes, and what a shame. What a disappointment. Yeah. I think... Mick Jagger should stay with sound only. I think any time he gets involved with vision, it doesn't work, and this one doesn't work at all for me. Now, it's quite obvious that some people have very nostalgic uh, memories of music in the early 70s, where this story is based. It is a two-dimensional portrayal of the music business in New York, featuring Bobby Cannavale as Richie Finestra, who... uh, runs a a record company called American Century 
Records, who is known in the trade as American Cemetery because artists go there to die. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, he's not very successful at the moment. He's being chased by a West German conglomerate, Polygram Music, who we all know and love from those days. They're now, I think, Universal Music. And uh, he's trying to uh, avoid being taken over, even though the rest of the uh, gentlemen, his colleagues, including Ray Romano, who was really very good as one of his PR hacks, He's trying to put them by because they want to keep their sinecures and their salaries coming in, so they're quite happy to take the Deutsche Mark. Everything about it just doesn't work for me because it's all known. Yes, there was a lot of drug taking. Yes, there was mobster money involved in uh, the the promotion of certain artists. There was a danger that uh, the music industry couldn't keep going unless it embraced punk music. David Bowie was changing styles, Elvis was dying out. All this stuff is known to a certain demographic, I would suggest, who this program is aimed for. And I don't think anybody would have been particularly uh, interested in the way that this is portrayed. I, mm. I found it amazing that people like Scorsese and with Jagger's obvious input in, in terms of all the characters and the anecdotes, because a lot of it is based on reality with only name changes to protect the guilty. It just didn't hang it together okay. at all. After the first episode went to air, HBO was so excited they immediately signed up for a second series. I myself didn't get past the first episode, oh, but a lot of people did. I and didn't. then it just tailed off. Yes, it tailed off. And by the end of the series, the, one of the executive producers, Terence Winter, who uh, worked on Boardwalk Empire with Scorsese, he left and HBO cancelled the second season. So that's it. There's only one That's season it. of vinyl. Yeah, and there are a few plot lines that left up in there, but I suspect mm. by the time, if you're still with it by ep 10, because it's 10 long episodes, then you won't really mind and you're just a, along for the ride and enjoying the characters. But everything is so blown out of reality that uh, it just didn't win me over at all. And what a shame, because the 70s was probably, when it came to pop music anyway, the most diverse decade we've ever had starting with the end of the Beatles and then you're getting into that whole singer-songwriter era which was huge there's so many of them there there was glam there was glitter there was west coast sound there was disco there was punk there was new wave everything yeah in Australia it was the uh the pub scene uh you know black music was huge in the 70s as well Stevie Wonder was big and then you had guys like Bruce Springsteen really emerged in the 70s like there's so much to talk about music everybody was trying to catch next wave I think and uh, probably disco was the one that sort of wrote it out until it was finally uh, uh, caught by uh, punk but uh, yeah I I don't know why it doesn't work it's got it's got absolutely every element. i tell you why I think, because truth is stranger than fiction, and quite frankly, the stories of these musicians are better told in any of the many, many, many great music documentaries you see. There was recently a series called Soundbreaking that Channel 9 screened, and it was fabulous, and that was a far more interesting thing than this, because in the end you can't make this stuff up, and they tried to make it up and they stuffed it up and apparently you know Scorsese wanted to make a movie about it well he's made documentaries he made the George Harrison one he made uh, the one about the band who were also there big in the 70s he made the great one about Bob Dylan uh, and he made a terrible 
concert film about the Rolling Stones. Well, he keeps he keeps telling us that every time he walked onto the set for this show, oh, yeah. it was like being taken back to the 70s. Well, yeah, you've got to go back there for a reason. And yes. I think you're dead right. I think the, the true stories and the documentaries, and let's face it, this period has been covered so many times yep. in so many formats. There, there was no need for this series. He made or was behind and, and did some of the episodes of that series on the history of the blues. He should say, rightio, we're going to make a 10-part series about the 1970s, do one episode per year and uh, see what happens at the end, give it out to a whole lot of different directors and see what they make of it. That, I'm sure, would be far more interesting. Well, I'm glad you mentioned soundbreaking because I only discovered that after staying awake one night after a Channel 9 sporting program. and I hadn't heard anything about it. It is a tremendous series. I'm not sure when it's available on DVD, but I'll keep my eye out for it. Please do. Really just a tremendous series and really engrossing stuff. And, of course, in normal commercial television. Uh, they treated it appallingly. You never knew when it was going to air. No. <laughs> and they didn't screen every one of the episodes as well. But, boy, for anyone who saw that, they were richly rewarded. And Indeed. it went beyond um, just, you know, how the Beatles made records and everything. The final episode, which is about how music delivery has changed, was fascinating about mm. everything from a gramophone through to uh, downloads was really really interesting and they had big big stars who had contributed to all of that well yes yeah. they got access to everybody didn't and they? not only that different people like it, not the usual talking heads that populate those shows. We had a different bunch. It was very, very interesting. Mm. Much better than vinyl. Yes, I should, We effort. should make mention of the fact that Mick Jagger's son, James, mm. does appear in this series, so I suppose yeah. it's interesting to see the next generation for the brief time he was there as a punk singer. Fair <laughs> but right. I can't think of many other reasons. It's a shame. Yes, I wonder if he was James somebody else. He might have got that job, we don't know. Anyway, all right, um, so Anomalisa, we should warn people, though, that sex scene is a little confronting if you're not used to animated puppets having sex. It may be the best puppet sex scene since uh, Team America World Police. Uh, and vinyl, uh, now you're talking quality. Uh, and vinyl, you know, maybe if it comes around again on TV, but don't go out and buy it. Rob, thanks, mate. We'll talk to you okay. same time next week. Will do. Rob Pemberton, DVDs.